this morning, brought in a total of 12, and uh, so that's uh, good, and, and numbers that normally come, you know, Father's Day, any kind of day, it's a holiday, or holiday weekend, sometimes you're a little bit down, so I was actually thrilled with uh, the uh, number that we had, and I know the good day of visitation yesterday, and the kids club on, and teenagers club on Wednesday night is doing great, we'll, we'll uh, this Wednesday run the bus on Wednesday night, not the van. Because we've uh, filling up the van, and um, so just keep all of that in prayer as we reestablish the bus ministry. And it's been really since COVID, almost two years since we, you know, really had a legitimate bus ministry. We kind of got started and stopped and started and stopped, and um, so um, keep that all in your prayer. I'm, I'm always, I've always obviously had a heart for the bus and reaching kids in our community with the gospel. I forget what the statistics are, but read statistics years and years ago that the older that you get, the less likely you are to make a profession of faith in Christ. So you get children who are young and haven't been influenced by a lot of what the world has to offer, and uh, their hearts are tender, at least very at the very least, we plant the seed of God's Word in their heart, and then we, we leave the rest of the work up to the Holy Spirit. So, Anyhow, take your Bibles. Um, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark as we get into our second lesson on fishing for men. We started this last week. So it's just going to be a short series, probably another two or three weeks, um, and then uh, we'll move on to something else. But... Um, our, our text, our theme text, is here in Mark. So I'm just going to read this. It's also, of course, on your, on your handout because we're going to refer to it. So let me read this text, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll get into our lesson for today. Mark chapter 1, and verses 16 down through verse 22. The Bible says, Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea for they were fishers. Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Then when he and they went into Capernaum, into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority, and not as the scribes. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We're so thankful for your goodness to us this day. We're thankful for your mercy. We're thankful for your grace. We ask and pray, Lord, your blessing upon this time that you'd meet with us in a very real and special, personal way, draw each of us closer to you. Bless the Sunday school classes that are meeting downstairs. Be with each teacher as they bring their lessons this morning. Be with the students. Let the Holy Spirit move upon their hearts. Undoubtedly, with that number that are downstairs, there's someone, a uh, young person there that has never received Christ as their Savior. We pray, Lord, for their salvation. We pray that you'd teach them and and, and draw them to you as only, Lord, you can. 
And uh, we pray for the morning worship service today, Lord, that you'd bless the service, be with Pastor Ethan as he preaches, be with the music. Uh, help us, Lord, to come and to worship you this day in spirit and in truth. We ask all these things now in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm going to take this off because it's kind of warm. All right, so if you weren't here last week, we started this series, Fishing for Men. And uh, something that I learned as I began this series is I didn't realize that the term fishing for men was not original with Jesus. It was a well-known term in that day. The philosophers uh, used that term to draw people to whatever they were teaching or whatever their philosophy was. So when Jesus used that term um, to draw, to, when, he, when he dealt with the disciples, that he was teaching them that, that they also were going to bring the truth of the gospel into the world and, and they were going to uh, spread the gospel and he was going to use them to do it. But he's called you and I to be fishing, fishers of men as well and to draw people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So on your handout, just a kind of an opening paragraph. So many churches today are changing, but that's never, in some ways that that's not new. Uh, down through history, churches have changed. I was at a preacher's meeting on Friday and uh, I mentioned at our prayer meeting that uh, I was one of the youngest preachers at that meeting. And, um, and I'm 65 years old. Oftentimes, when you're at a meeting like that, you hear preachers, they'll make comments like, oh, the church, the church just isn't what it used to be. And I thought about that. I've heard that comment many times. Well, you know what? The church has never been what it used to be. And uh, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't really do us any good to bemoan the fact that the church isn't what it used to be. I, one of my favorite commentators that I read is Dr. Harry Ironside, who mostly wrote in the 1930s and 40s. And if you read his commentaries, you know what he says? Oh, the church just isn't what it used to be. And we would think back to the 1930s and 1940s and think, wow, there was so much. Every age and time. Uh, the First Baptist Church in North Adams in the turn of the century had a Sunday school role of 1,200 kids. Now, I'm not saying all 1,200 went at the same time, but they had on their Sunday school role 1,200 children. So things change, and it, it just, for me, you can get caught up in that uh, about what, what, what was. We have to deal with what is, and we just have to move forward. And uh, we all know that New England isn't the spiritual hotbed that it was 100, 200, and 300 years ago. Um, but we've been called in whatever time that we live to be fishing for men, fishers of men. And we're to be mindful of that. So anyhow, many churches are changing, as it says in that opening paragraph, and all over the world, churches do fall into a success syndrome. Success is measured by the size of the congregation, regardless of the means which were used and accepted to grow the congregation. But as I mentioned last week, success has to be measured. It's never measured in the size of a congregation. Success is measured in a church's likeness to Jesus Christ. Because there will always be churches larger than whatever church you're in. And I'm not saying a large church is not a Christ-like church church, but you understand what I'm saying. Churches are meant to be Christ-like. We're to, we're to uh, the image of Christ should be upon all that we do and, and who we are. 
Joshua, I just finished reading, or almost finished reading, the book of Joshua in my devotions. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law, Joshua said, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I believe it's the only time the word success is found in the Bible. Success comes from following the Word of God whether it's in the Old Testament or whether it's in the New Testament, whether it's in the church life, whether it's in our personal lives, whether it's in the family life or uh, the single person's life. We need to follow Christ. Amen? That's, that's what we do. I, if you have my notes here, the reason you have a copy of my notes is because early this morning when I was going over my notes, I noticed when I get to the first point, I had the wrong marker there. It's actually Mark chapter 1, and I changed that this morning, but... I printed out my notes, not, not the notes I normally would use. But anyhow, um, so if you notice on my notes in red there, Little Jesus Christian School. So what is that all about, Little Jesus Christian School? And so many years ago, when we had our Christian school, a uh, member of the clergy came to interview to put their daughter in our school. And we sat down and we talked and we told them, you know, the philosophy of our school and what we were doing here, uh, the academics of the school and the spiritual aspect of the school. And he looked at me and he says, well, you're not trying to make little Jesuses here, are you? Which I thought was kind of bizarre for a man who was in the clergy. And I said, well, actually, yeah, that's exactly what we're hoping to do. Now, we know that, and, and I hear when you say little Jesuses, we know none of us will be Jesus, amen? But that's the whole point of the Christian life, is to be like Christ, to be born in the image of Christ. Uh, and, and, uh, but I guess they just didn't get that. Um, and so they didn't put their daughter in Christian school. And, and uh, so, But whether a child's in Christian school, public school, or homeschooled, the responsibility of you and I as parents is to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, so that the so that they're saved, and then the the image of Christ is upon them. So we're all supposed to be little Jesuses, and um, that's what it means to be a fisher for men. Sometimes I think when we think of the idea of fishing for men, it's to win people to Christ. But fishing to men is just not to win people to Christ. It is obviously to share the gospel with them and for them to get saved, but then to take time and build them up in the faith so that they know what it means to be a Christian. Or to build them up first in the faith to bring them to the point of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And um, that's what it means to fish for men, to bring the truth of God's Word. And so again, just as review, I have in my notes systematic theology. I talked a little bit about that last week. I showed you a book that I used, for those of you who weren't here, um, by George Thiessen called Lectures in Systematic Theology. And uh, you might think that's a boring book, Lectures in Systematic Theology. It's one of the greatest books I ever read. Because it, what it does is systematic theology is systematically teaching people who Jesus is and why Jesus came and what the Bible says about him. And then again, as review last week, we looked in John chapter 5 and we see there in John chapter 5, verses 18 through 26, Jesus systematically is teaching the disciples 
who he is. And uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but if you remember the points where Jesus taught them that he was equal with God, he then taught them that, that he's equal with God in ability. He then taught them that he was equal with God, the Father, in knowledge. He taught them, taught them that he was equal with God in power. He taught them that he was equal with God in honor. And he systematically did that. And he's spending, as he's, he's brought these, the disciples to him, he's spending and will spend the next three years teaching the apostles about who he is and why he came and what their purpose is for serving him. So get on your handout. You notice the highlighted portion of our text where Jesus said, I will make you to become fishers of men. There's no self-made spiritual men and women. It's Jesus that grows us in the faith. You know, for instance, one of the qualifications of a pastor is that a pastor not be a novice. It's so that the pastor has to grow in the faith and sit under the teaching and the preaching of God's Word. In the book of Titus, it talks, Paul writes to Titus and he talks about the elder men and the elder women. And meaning not so much even so much the elder in age, but elder in the faith. And they're there to nurture and bring up other men and women in the faith. That's all part of fishing for men and teaching others to be fishers for men. The directive, follow me, is found 18 times in the Gospel. Follow me. Follow me. Everybody's following somebody or something. It's just the way that it is. And somebody tells you they're not, they're not following anything. That's just not true. Everybody follows something whether it's they're following something spiritually, they're fo following something philosophically, they're following something religiously, or they're following something politically, they're following entertainers. We were talking about sports. We were talking this morning, uh, Carl and I, I guess in the news, there was a football player who just spent three years in the NFL, and he's just, uh, if I understand it correctly, he still had time, he could have still played, but he decided to give up the NFL and to become a preacher of the gospel. And um, I, I haven't seen the article. I haven't read it. I'm sure I'll catch up with it. But apparently the coach was, thought it was a great idea and, uh, because there was something greater than football. And uh, it, would be, it would be good for our generation to realize there's something greater than football, you know, because the... When the football season starts this fall, the, the Pee Wee League's in town. Some of those kids that rode the bus today, they won't be on the bus. You know where they'll be? They'll be playing football. There's something greater than football, baseball, and all the other sports. There's something greater than, than all the other hobbies that we can think of. I love to hunt, but there's something greater than hunting. And, 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 you know, and so on and so forth. But we all follow something. In Matthew chapter 7, and verse 13, it, Jesus said this, Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. But straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Then you know what the next words of Jesus are? I wouldn't have remembered if you, somebody asked me. I would have remembered those two verses. The next words of Jesus are these. Beware of 
false prophets. Because everyone is trying to make fishers of men. Everyone is trying, I shouldn't say everyone, but men, they're trying to draw people in, draw people in. Beware of false prophets. So it's important that we know what we believe and, what we, and we believe what, what we know. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is, a way, uh, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. Many false teachings, people are genuine in them. They really are, I think. I have a, a fellow who, I haven't seen him now in probably about two or three years, but I used to see him quite a bit. His name is Jim. Jim is a Wiccan priest. Lives in Adams. And we would discuss things. I would, we, he would tell me what he believed, and I would tell him what I believed. He had a good friend, he told me, that was a born-again preacher. So he knew what I was talking about. And I remember saying to Jim one day, Jim, if what you believe is right and true, then I have nothing to worry about. He says, yeah. But if what I believe is right and true, and he didn't even let me finish. He says, well, yeah, then I've got something to worry about. So I don't know if Jim will ever come to know Christ as his Savior, but Jim knows the truth. And um, because if he doesn't get saved, I think he, he genuinely believes in his Wiccan religion and sincerely believes, but he's sincerely wrong. And you could go right down the list of all the philosophies in life. So that's, that's where we're at. That's the culture that we live in. People are lost. And we need to remember that. Have you ever been lost? In Boston. Well, I've been in the Boston now twice in the last year. And it's more, I've been in Boston more in the last year than I have been in the last 20 years. And we went on Monday of last week, and uh, it's not, not I, I used to think, because I, I, I know New York City, that's where I was raised. New York City, everything is north, south, east, and west. It's an easy city to get around. But Boston is like spaghetti, you know, trying to figure it all out. But it's not as difficult now. I've just been in a few times, and it's not as difficult as I thought. And, uh, but I, I, as, as much as I knew New York, I'll tell you, Years ago, when we had the Christian school, I took the kids and I think two or three vans, I think two vans and a car to the botanical gardens. And I would pass going to Yankee Stadium all the time to sign for the botanical gardens. So when we went, were you with us, Jim Atherton, on that trip? Yeah. So when we went... Oh, okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Oh, I won't get into that. <laughs> So I had seen the sign for the botanical gardens. So I knew the way. I, I was certain I'd get off the highway and there'd be signs for the botanical gardens. So we got off the highway and there were no signs. for them. And this is long before cell phones. You couldn't Google botanical gardens and, 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 and have your phone tell you how to get there. Now, I have no idea where I am. And I'm somewhere in the Bronx, you know, and... Uh, you know, Manhattan is north, south, east, and west. But you know, the Bronx, not so much. So finally, uh, I pulled over and talked to a New York City policeman. And he's explaining to me how to get to the botanical gardens. And he must have seen the look on my face. And he said to me, get, get in the van and follow me. 
and good for the New York City police officer, he gave us a police escort to the botanical gardens. But I was lost. But you know, we have friends, family members all around us. They're lost. And it's your responsibility and my responsibility to be like the police officer. I genuinely thought I would get, be able to get to the botanical gardens. But I, I couldn't. I had no idea where to go. I would have just gotten us further and further and further lost. Except for the police officer. So, fishing for men. It's, it's what we deal with. It's, they're all around us. Um, on your handout, Luke 15. From my son, the prodigal, so this, that's the account of the prodigal. So my son was dead and alive again. He was lost. And he's found. And they began to be merry. People are lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save them which were lost. Lost. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. People that are lost. No, there's, no, there's no more tragic words than if a ship goes down or a plane goes down and you hear those words, all are lost. All are lost. I'm reading a book about the shipwrecks off the coast of Maine. It's just a little book. I got it at the dump. And there's a box at the dump. If people are going to throw out books, they leave these books there at the dump. And um, so I, uh, oh, I kind of perused through it. And I thought, we go to Maine a lot. I want to read about these shipwrecks off the coast of Maine. So I read about the shipwreck on Boone Island. How many of you know where Boone Island is? You ever been to York? Have you ever been to York in Maine? You know the York Lighthouse? Well, if you look to the right, further out is Boone Island. There's another lighthouse there. And the Nottingham in um, 17, uh, I forget, 17-something, I think 1730 sank off of that, hit that, that Boone Island, and they wrecked there. In its day, it was as famous a story as um, No, 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 because it was 1700. It's the, um, the whaling ship that went down. Um, yeah. Yes, actually. The, the, story of, the story of Moby Dick is a true story to some extent. It's based, it was based after, uh, if you ever read the book Down Under the Sea, uh, that, that whaling ship sank, it was from Nantucket, it sank off the coast of South Africa, and it tells the story. It, it was hit by a huge white whale, and it's what was one of the most famous shipwrecks in, in the whaling. The, the, the story is based after but that. You're not for the name of the Pequot, is it? No. I don't know. What was I looking for? I don't even, I don't even remember. Is that the ship that I, I, I forget what the name of the ship was. But the point is, they thought the ship was lost. The ship hit the rocks. It was freezing cold. I think it was December, if I remember the story of Boone Island. And um, not to get gross, but they didn't have anything. They didn't have anything. They were out in this little tiny, little tiny rock there, freezing, eating. If they could catch a seagull, and the carpenter on the ship died, and they ate the carpenter on the ship in order to eat it so they could survive. Two guys left to try to get to shore, and they're raft, they, they, they never found them, they died. They made some kind of a makeshift raft 
And some men along the shore found the raft. Oh, and they did find one of the dead bodies. And they realized there must be people out on Boone Island. And so they sent a ship out to Boone Island. That's the only way that these guys got rescued. They would have starved to death. They were lost. And it took these men to go out there and to bring them back and the rest of the crew survived. But again, that's just the world we live in. And you and I need to, we need to be mindful of that. You know, some of the old hymns really remind us of that. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin. And I forget how the rest of it goes. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Snatch them from sin. And I think it's despair. Plead, huh? For the grave. Plead for the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Jesus the... Tell them of Jesus the might. What is it? Tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. See that? You sang that hymn all your, your young life and you remember that hymn. I remember we go on father-son camp out sometimes and we didn't have a hymn book, but somebody started to play the guitar and we just sing these, sing these old hymns that people remembered, told a story, reminded us of lost people. And um, I wonder sometimes if the church, and I'm not saying our church, I'm just wondering sometimes if the church has lost that sense of lost people, the need to spread the gospel. It's been a wonderful thing this last, well, I don't know how wonderful it's been. It's been a lot of work, but this last year and a year and a half, we have redone the entire church, basically. The only thing I have left to do is I've got to sand the woodwork out there and put a fresh coat, and a lot of people helped. But I was praying on Friday, and the Lord impressed upon me. The Lord's not in love with the paint. He's not in love with the chairs. I like the carpet. He's not in love with the carpet. He's not in love with what we've done downstairs. He's not in love with the platform. He's in love with you. And he's in love with those children that we brought in, teenagers. And he's in love with your lost family members and your co-workers. They're lost. They're lost. And we can have the greatest programs and our kids' program is going great, and I love it, and so I don't want this to sound negative in any way. But we can have the greatest programs, the greatest singing. We can have the greatest, you plug it all in. But the reality is all this isn't about that. It's about, it, it, those are tools to bring lost people to Christ and to hear the gospel. That's how they get saved. People are lost. They're lost. So, i just quickly going to go through these three principles on here that uh, we'll finish up with these. We've got about 10 minutes. But everything that we do, the principle, everything that we do and for men must be preceded by our time with God. We spend with time. Spend time with God. Now, on your handout, is it Mark chapter 1 or Mark chapter 3? What does it say on your handout under the principle? Huh? Okay, that's where I wanted you to go. So look. Look here at Mark chapter 1 and look at verse 35. So we saw that he called them to be fishers of men. We didn't, I'm not going to, for sake of time, reading the, read the in-between verses here, but um, only to say that, the, that there was a man with an unclean spirit 
And uh, then we go and we're in Capernaum and they're at Peter's house where Peter's mother was dying and, and she was sick of the fever. Jesus heals her um, in verse 31. But look at verse 32. And even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse de diseases. And he cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew, uh, knew him not. Or, or because they knew him. And in the morning, now here's what I wanted you to see. In the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. And there he prayed. Of course, it's Jesus. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, I noticed this. I never really thought of it this way until I was putting this lesson together. Jesus got up early. To, to the best of my knowledge, as we read the scriptures, he didn't ask the disciples to get up early and go with him. They woke up and they, where's Jesus? And so they searched and they followed him and they went to where he is. And it's always been my mindset or my thinking that when someone comes to know Christ as their Savior, is born again, is a child of God, that there would be a desire in their heart to hear about the things about Jesus. If you have to constantly compel people to come to church, and, and I understand when they're children and you're trying to get them here to hear the gospel, but I'm talking about when you have to constantly compel them to be sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's word, or, or someone professes their faith in Christ, you'd have to kind of wonder, do they truly, have they truly been saved? Are they truly born again? And these men just got up where, where, where they just wanted to be with Jesus. And you and I, that's a desire that has to be in our heart, that we want to be with Jesus. We want to be under the teaching and preaching of, of Jesus. We want to have our Bible time each day with Jesus as the disciples did. But these men were learning here very early in their Bible college training, if you will, the importance of spending time alone with Jesus. And it's true, whatever you are, whether you're a preacher or not. And, and I noticed here in the scripture they, that they entered into the, in verse 29, I saw this, they, they came out of the synagogue and they entered into the house of Simon and Jesus entered with them. So it's important that we're mindful that we don't leave Jesus at the church house, but he comes back to our house with us, amen? And that he's with us in our homes, our apartments. But if we're going to be the proper wife and proper husband, we've got to spend time with Jesus. Proper business person, employee and employer. That's what it means to be a fisher of men and to follow Christ. You've been one to Christ. The Holy Spirit has brought you to Him. But are we spending time with the Lord and growing in our faith? The preacher Carl, uh, Clarence Sexton said this, What is our great error? We, we search for shortcuts. We do everything we can to eliminate the need for God so we can run ahead and do what we know we can do on our own. He said this, I like this, the worst thing that happens to us is not that we fail, but that we succeed in areas that are not God's will. We build a business without spending time with God. We grow a church without spending time with God. 
We lead a family without spending time with God. The worst thing is not that we fail. The worst thing is to succeed and have left Christ out. And it's so true. Then the priority. Take your Bibles and go to Mark chapter 8. Jesus would teach the apostles about the priorities of following him and the priorities about men coming to know Christ. What are our priorities? Verse 34 of Mark chapter 8. One of the, what is one of the, some of the first verses I memorized? And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, well, there's those words again, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world? and lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? This football player, that's what he came to realize. Football was a great way to make a living, and many people, young men, would love to be professional football players. This man, I'm sure, had spent many, many, many years in this profession. But the reality was there was something far greater than playing football. And that is to spread the gospel of Christ. This little girl who's riding our bus, McKenna, she's a, she's a pistol, let me tell you. She got on the bus today and she's just... You know, I know everybody in this neighborhood. And I'm going to all their houses and I'm telling them about Sundays. Go, I said to her, yeah, McKenna, I need to make you a bus captain. I need to make you a bus worker. Please do, she said. <laughs> She's excited about coming. That's the little girl that Ethan tells you about sometimes who said, can you really talk to God? You see, tucked away in all these little places are children like that and even adults who have that saying, can you really talk to God? And it's your responsibility and my responsibility to go out and to be fishers of men. To not just bring them to the saving knowledge of Christ, but have them to grow up and to walk in the faith. And, the, and that's a priority. I appreciate, I had a group that came out on, on Wednesday. They came out at 5 o'clock and they made it a priority to come and go into the neighborhoods and get the kids to come to Wednesday night service. And people who are working, they're working all day and putting ministries together and, and teaching lessons and Sunday school lessons and, and people who are in music and, and, and then people who came on Saturday or people who came to the prayer meetings. These are, we, we, tie, we prioritize. Because, as you notice, and we're out of time, as much as there's a real heaven, and we all like to talk about the heaven aspect, there's a real hell where their worm dieth not. where the rich man say, go back and warn my five brothers that there's really a place called hell. A place of eternal damnation, a place of fire and a place of torment. And that's not a popular message. You don't hear too many messages any longer about hell and damnation. But 
But you look around your coworkers. One day they're going to die. And you either end up in hell or you end up in heaven. Your schoolmates, your friends, your family members. There's a real heaven. There's a real hell. There's a real eternity. Eternal life is found 19 times in the Bible. But eternal damnation is also found in the Bible. Forever and forever and forever and forever. There's a real priority that I think sometimes we're losing. And then lastly, quickly, the progression. As we follow Christ, He makes us fishers of men. Go to Mark chapter 16 and I'm done. I won't take long here because we are out of time. So there in Mark chapter 1, He calls them to be fishers of men. And in Mark chapter 8, He calls them, uh, he, he helps them to realize, well, what's their priority? The need to have a priority, to take up our cross and to follow daily and to follow Him. And then lastly, here's the progression. Here's where it led them. Here's some of the last words that Jesus says unto them. He's, they've been now with Him for, for three years. He's won them to Himself, but He's made them fishers of men. He's, he's systematically, down through time, taught them just exactly who He is and why He's come and why they're here. And in Mark chapter 16, verse 14, afterward He appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and He upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. Let me just stop there. These men could walk with Jesus for three years and still have hard hearts. All of us can develop hard hearts. Because they believed not them which had seen Him after He was risen. And He said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. His passion, His passion must become our passion. His purpose must become our purpose. Never lose sight of the fact that His passion and purpose, as I've already mentioned, is people. I didn't, I didn't say it, but of course you saw it on your handout. Dr. Lee Robertson said, most Christians do more witnessing to the lost in the first six months that they are saved than the rest of their lives. And you notice in the notes I say, well, we had time. Why is that? And I think sometimes it's our hearts get hard. We're not reminded about it. And I don't know this last quote, if this was Ethan came up with this on Wednesday night or if we read it somewhere, but somewhere I, I, I wrote it down because I liked it. Listen, always remember, you and I, we are more sinful than we ever realized. But we are more loved than we ever dreamed. Despite all of our sin and all of our shortcomings, Jesus loves us. Just as He loves us, there are people all around us He loves. And you and I, we need to be fishers of men. Draw people to Christ. Point people to Christ. That's how a word of prayer. Lord, we ask that You bless now our morning worship service. We pray that it would honor You all that we do and say. We're thankful so much, Lord, for Your goodness to us. Again, for Your mercy. So undeserving your great love that you have for us. And we pray again for those that are here this day or those that will be watching on the live stream and others that we come into contact with through the week. That we'd be, a good, we'd be good disciples. We'd be good witnesses. We'd be a light that shines brightly in a very dark and sinful world. In Jesus' name, amen.